Okay, um, right. Well, I'll begin with the um, G7 meeting, uh, supposedly a historic um, turning point. Um, this is certainly an illustration of continued US hegemony, uh, because what this uh, deal does is it um, basically uh, does away with, at least hopes, uh, the United States moves by various European powers, um, India uh, to tax um, American high-tech uh, companies um, separately uh, from a deal with the US. And um, then we, you know, basically we avoid a, a tit-for-tat uh, retaliation. Um, it's certainly bad news uh, for Ireland. Um, I don't know how much uh, Ireland's uh, GDP will drop uh, as a result of this deal, but uh, one should expect um, some sort of um, um, impact um, on it, along with Luxembourg um, um, and who knows uh, elsewhere. Um, so it, it is not unimportant. Um, of course, um, there was some argument about um, 15% or 15% minimum. And um, certainly um, a note of caution um, ought to be introduced. And I think that that has been agreed that before this agreement is agreed, Biden has to get it through uh, the US um, uh, Congress. Um, depending on which uh, paper you read or what, uh, um, you know, broadcast channel you watch that's either a done deal because um, um, the Republicans um, you know want uh, this deal or uh, it ain't a done deal and to me at least the very fact that you had uh, various uh, European uh, voices being raised of concern that before they signed up to it uh, they needed to um, see that uh, uh, the United States um, could actually, or the US administration, uh, could actually uh, deliver um, um, on it. Now, of course, this brings up uh, the whole question of, um, has there been a social democratic turn um, uh, amongst the bourgeoisie, or more specifically, um, has there been a social democratic turn in the hegemon in the United States? I would certainly say myself that there's been a change in rhetoric uh, in terms of um, Biden's program. Can he deliver it? Well, it's the same with this um, agreement around uh, taxing high tech um, American uh, companies. It's by no means certain. Uh, but clearly, uh, Biden and the Democrats will be fighting on a very different platform in the midterm uh, elections that are uh, coming, that are crucial uh, in terms of uh, Biden's program, then compared with um, Hillary Clinton um, or Obama um, and what went before going back really uh, 
uh, to the early 80s um, and the Thatcher-Reagan um, uh, change, i.e. the abandonment, uh, the final abandonment of uh, what can be called uh, social democracy. And of course, what we mean by social democracy here uh, isn't 19th century uh, and it isn't um, you know, about reforming capitalism um, into socialism. Uh, if you wanted a, a phrase um, to describe it, it's managed uh, capitalism. Um, it, it's where the state uh, plays a considerable and one presumes an expanding role. That, that... Anyway, my main point is that uh, there has been an ideological uh, shift uh, myself, I think that actually helps the left. It doesn't mean it's a free gift, um, but uh, if the bourgeoisie is going through a significant ideological change, it, it certainly helps us uh, um, in terms of putting forward our uh, program. Now, I think it is worthwhile just um, highlighting um, an interview with John McDonnell uh, on this, you know, the former uh, shadow chancellor, uh, the author, the main author uh, of, um, you know, Labour's um, economic program uh, in the 2019 election. There you go. You're out again. Anyway, let's see if we can uh, get through the rest of this without uh, any more breakdowns. Just apologies, comrades. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, my main point is that um, John McDonald claims um, that uh, Biden, what is now being called Bidenomics, uh, vindicates uh, the Labour Party under um, Corbyn. It uh, vindicates uh, Labour's uh, last uh, manifesto. Uh, and from my point of view, uh, there's a truth there. Uh, Labour's... Uh, right. Oh, dear. <laughs> Maybe I need a new microphone. Anyway, my main point here is that um, in terms of uh, John McDonnell, there's a truth there. And, um, you know, um, one thing I'm sure of is that Joe Biden isn't out uh, to turn America socialist. He, he's determined to save uh, America for capitalism and the capitalists. Uh, uh, and the very fact that John McDonald is claiming uh, some affinity, uh, I think should tell you more about uh, John McDonald uh, than it does about uh, Joe uh, Biden. Um, okay, moving on. Um, just a quick um, mention of um, COVID-19 in Britain. There's a debate uh, about coming out of lockdown. Uh, that decision will be made soon. Uh, the date uh, is the 21st. My own expectation for what it's worth uh, is that it will be delayed, uh, maybe by a week, maybe by two weeks. Either way, the main uh, question for me is actually the success of the vaccination program. Um, in other words, um, if we look at what is expected 
uh, even in the worst case scenario, uh, we're not talking about the NHS uh, being overwhelmed. Uh, you know, we've got a situation now uh, of where under 30s uh, are being offered uh, their first vaccination. And if you think back uh, a year plus and a bit, we were in a situation then uh, that we were only first hearing about coronavirus. Uh, and it's been a remarkable, remarkable achievement uh, to have gone from that, what the hell is this disease, to a situation uh, of where well over half the population not only have been vaccinated, but like, but like old gits like myself uh, have actually had two uh, jabs. And the prospect uh, that if there is some further strange mutation um, of uh, some sort of booster uh, 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 jab. None of us know how immune we are, uh, but the vaccination does seem to be successful in one, reducing transmission rates, two, reducing hospital admissions, and three, uh, reducing dramatically uh, the number of deaths. So last week, there was one day uh, of where the headlines in some papers were no COVID deaths uh, today. And that has been a fantastic achievement. Not uh, by the market, uh, not uh, you know, by the profit motive, but by government intervention. The reason we have these vaccines is because governments of various stripes has basically thrown money at it. And we certainly know with the AstraZeneca uh, a jab uh, that the Oxford developers of it insisted on a no profit uh, deal, I think for a year, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, uh, that's where they were coming from. And I basically myself uh, take um, uh, the same sort of view of this uh, COVID socialism as uh, Lenin did uh, about war socialism in World War One, And what he took from it isn't the wonders of industrial warfare, uh, but the wonders of organization. That if you take Germany um, from 1916, when they introduced this uh, Krieg Socialismus, um, they were able to double uh, the production of uh, munitions and war materials. And basically Lenin took from that uh, that if you can do that with munitions and you can do that with war material, uh, you can apply that to a society like Russia, which was descending into economic chaos, and you can rescue it. Well, I take the same view, not only with COVID-19 uh, and the pandemic, but also uh, uh, the prospect that 800,000 people uh, in Britain uh, uh, face losing their homes. Uh, that's mortgage, uh, but also renters, 800,000 people. Uh, uh, and if you take the lessons of COVID, uh, to me, it tells you uh, that you could solve that problem virtually overnight in the same way that you could solve um, the COVID-19 uh, program. What would you do? First of all, uh, you would take over vacant properties Secondly, what you would have is a housing program of converting um, offices, uh, vacant shops, uh, commercial uh, properties and build new houses on the same basis uh, that you were able to develop uh, uh, these um, 
uh, vaccines. Will the Tories do it? It doesn't look like it, uh, but that is what a working class uh, government would do. Okay, just talking about COVID, I note the attacks in the United States on Anthony uh, Fuki, um, you know, the um, chief medical officer um, in the United States. We've had the release of his emails. And according to right wing commentators, uh, this exposes him for saying one thing in public and another in private. This exposes some dark plot uh, to impose some sort of lockdown martial law, some sort of authoritarian state um, on the population. Um, of uh, the United States. Uh, to me, it's, it, it tells you a great deal about the American right. It tells you very little um, about the sort of political program of medics, except their hope uh, that lives uh, can be saved uh, and suffering uh, can be uh, reduced. Uh, we also have in the United States, um, the CIA uh, being um, tasked uh, with coming up with a report on the Wuhan uh, lab, um, the same story uh, that we've heard endless times uh, that this virus was manufactured um, in China with a view of using it as a weapon, which just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, or slightly more credibly, uh, there was an escape uh, of this virus uh, from the Wunan uh, lab or some other such facility. Um, myself, I'm quite prepared to go along with the World Health Organization, which investigated this matter and concluded uh, that the probability was uh, that this was a, a direct animal carryover, uh, either from a bat to humans or via a bat via another animal to humans. That is the most likely uh, explanation. But as in all science, what you get um, is some room of uncertainty. So no scientist will come along and say, I am absolutely certain 100% that this is the a truth. You're not going to have that uh, in science. Hence, uh, the wriggle room uh, for um, Biden may be carrying through um, his uh, new Cold War uh, with China. All those on the right uh, that uh, view the whole thing as some sort of dark uh, uh, conspiracy. Um, um, either way, um, I, I think that, you know, the, the likelihood uh, uh, is that this was a, um, a natural uh, occurrence produced by social uh, uh, circumstances as opposed to some dark plot or even uh, an unfortunate um, accident. I note in Socialist Worker uh, that they're saying uh, neither side has an interest in the truth. Well, depending on what the truth is, you do. You know, if you're the Chinese, uh, you certainly have an interest if it was um, some natural occurrence in the truth. Uh, if you've got something to cover up, then you've got an interest in some some version of an untruth. Uh, one thing I'm certain of 
is that the CIA investigation uh, will not come out with a definite conclusion. It cannot come out with a definite conclusion in the same way that the World, the World Health Organization couldn't come out with an absolute 100% definite conclusion. And the same, of course, uh, applies uh, to the uh, Pentagon report um, um, uh, this week on uh, unidentified flying um, objects. So it concludes, well, most of them were weather balloons, uh, but there are uh, some um, unidentified flying objects that are still unexplainable and well yeah sure uh, what they then say is well the chances of this being extraterrestrial life is pretty damn remote and if you think about it for more than two seconds that's obviously the conclusion uh, why because uh, as far as we know there are no advanced civilizations in our solar system so, you know, if we look at uh, our sort of uh, space travel, I, it takes you, what, six months, doesn't it, to get to Mars, something along those lines. Um, so we have to look beyond this solar system and we have to look to uh, nearby star systems. In other words, you know, for all practical purposes, this civilization has had to be able to master traveling beyond the speed of light. Um, and then you go, well, as far as, our physics is concerned, uh, we don't think that's possible. Um, you know, as far as our physics is concerned, uh, you cannot travel faster uh, than the speed of light. So, okay, maybe it comes from outside our solar system, but if so, they are so, so advanced, uh, why bother with these flying saucer um, uh, contraptions. Well, so it's very <laughs> unlikely to put it mildly. Then we have the other uh, possibility, which again, you cannot discount totally, that this is um, Chinese or Russian technology. Well, again, um, the chances of China or Russia being something like a hundred years ahead of American technology, you go, no, <laughs> this is clearly nonsense. Uh, so what is an un unidentified flying object? Well, it's an unidentified flying object. It's something they haven't come up with an explanation for. Wow, that's it. But nonetheless, in terms of uh, conspiracy theories, uh, in terms of the right wing uh, media, the headline is, well, it could be alien life. Well, yes, it could be. And precisely, uh, as we have uh, in terms of our commentary in this week's uh, uh, paper, um, if that is the case, one presumes the logic must be that these people, if we call them people, uh, th these beings uh, come from a higher civilization. Uh, only communism surely could develop um, such craft that can, uh, you know, defy our uh, physics. Uh, and if they are communists, what the hell are they doing just flying around buzzing um, <laughs> a U.S.? Um, um, you know, uh, Navy, um, you know, flotilla or whatever the hell uh, is going on. So, no, uh, I, I don't see anything there. What's more interesting about UFOs is it people, pe the people who believe it and the why. And that's what uh, uh, Paul DeMarty, I, I think, very well explores uh, in this week's uh, weekly worker. In other words, what UFOs do is not give us a picture 
uh, into another world, another civilization in their own way. What they do is hold up a mirror in front of our uh, civilization. It holds up a mirror about our uh, levels of paranoia um, in the in the here and now. Uh, that's their uh, significance. And um, again, just to make the point uh, that the fact that Obama seems to believe it says as much about Obama as it did about the 1950s, when uh, Philip Windsor was also an enthusiast um, for um, UFOs, along with Posadas, uh, the leader of uh, the South American section of the uh, Fourth um, International. Okay, moving on this time uh, to Israel, and it is Israel more than Israel-Palestine. Uh, uh, we don't know, at least I don't think we know, what the result is going to be, but what we seem to be possibly seeing um, is the um, end of uh, um, Benjamin Netanyahu's 12-year uh, stint as Prime Minister. Uh, I'm saying that tentatively. Um, what is a change, and again, I don't want to over-egg it, isn't so much the end of Benjamin Netanyahu, um, or for that matter, the um, um, uh, Likud as the centre, uh, the main uh, coalition uh, governing party, uh, 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 the change we actually see um, in Israel uh, that does mark a change is the entry of um, an Arab uh, party uh, potentially um, uh, into a coalition government. And the very, that very fact tells you uh, that the project uh, of uh, getting together uh, these eight parties uh, that make up that coalition is extremely difficult, extremely unstable, and could easily uh, fall to pieces before uh, there's a vote in the Knesset. Why? Uh, because what we have is a political spectrum going uh, from the right, and excuse my Hebrew, but from uh, Bennett's Yamini or Yamina party, which I think in English means something like rightwards. Uh, this is the party uh, as I said, of Bennett, who is uh, um, putting, being put forward as the alternating uh, prime minister uh, to replace Netanyahu. Um, his party uh, is to the right of Likud. Uh, well, you go through the various other parties and what you have, yes, is a, a center party in Israeli terms. You have the Labour Party there. Um, the um, historic uh, party of um, uh, Zionism in Israel from its um, foundation. What to, wasn't it the early 70s uh, when uh, Likud comes in? I think something around about there. Uh, either way, then you put in uh, this um, uh, Arab party um, and then you see the problem uh, because precisely uh, Bennett's party um, you know, stands for the annexation uh, program when it comes to the West Bank. Uh, it stands for shooting down uh, uh, Palestinians that dare resist. It stands, you know, for the bombing uh, of Gaza uh, and the terrorization 
uh, of the Palestinians. Now, in terms of this government coalition, uh, it's true that there will be deals about the Negev, there will be deals about Bedouins and you name it and all the rest of it. Nevertheless, you can already see why uh, Netanyahu isn't going to take this lying down and he'll be busy uh, trying to organize the defection splits uh, um, from the right uh, of this uh, uh, grand coalition uh, because the numbers uh, involved are extremely even. If you look at the numbers involved in this alternate coalition, uh, they add up to 62. That's out of a Knesset of 120. So it doesn't take many defectors uh, to bring the wheels off uh, of this uh, coalition. So all you can say, I think with certainty, uh, is that this coalition uh, government ain't gonna last long. Now, what I wanna do is spend a couple of minutes just looking at this um, um, Arab uh, party. Its uh, name is the United Arab List. Um, Rahman, uh, that's, I don't know whether that's an Arabic name or a Hebrew name. Either way, uh, at the core uh, of this um, United Arab List, uh, is the Islamic movement of Israel. Now, my very limited research tells me uh, that what this is, is the Israeli um, co-thinkers or branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and far from it being a united Arab list, what we actually have here is a split from the joint Arab list. Um, so not in the last elections, but in the elections before, um, as Netanyahu moved to um, make it more difficult for the um, Arab Israeli population to get um, representation in the Knesset, what you had is this strange get together in essence of um, Islamic parties, not least the Muslim Brotherhood, and the Communist Party of Israel, most of whose voters are Arab, although a number of its actual uh, Knesset members are Hebrews. So what we have is a split um, in this joint list um, uh, with um, four Knesset members uh, going off um, or, or yeah, going off to join this government. And this in itself represents, as I understand it, a split in the Muslim Brotherhood in Israel between the North and the South. So this isn't a particularly united Arab list. It's a split, split uh, Arab list, a split in the Muslim Brotherhood, and also a split uh, in terms of um, Arab voters uh, who would vote um, for the Communist Party uh, under the name of Hadash um, and those that would vote Islamic. Now, already you see the contradictions because um, here's a government um, that uh, clearly is dominated uh, by Zionist parties, led by a prime minister um, who, you know, wants to aggressively pursue uh, the Zionist uh, uh, project. So um, it's true that there might be some uh, concessions, uh, but one would uh, guess uh, that those concessions will be very temporary 
um, and there will be a fifth general election sometime soon. So we could easily see uh, the return of Likud. Uh, we could see conceivably uh, the return even of Netanyahu. What we generally observe, though, and I think this needs stressing, is Israeli politics continues its steady drift to the right. You know, when uh, the state of Israel was first formed, you know, you had uh, people in Britain, in the Labour Party, including on the left of the Labour Party, that looked at Israel as some sort of socialist experiment, you know, by looking at the kibbutz, uh, by looking at the, the makeup um, of the government, because you'd have had the Israeli uh, Labour Party allied to um, um, socialists who purportedly stood uh, to their left. Um, since then, we've had the outsiders of the revisionist Zionists who distinguished themselves from Labour Zionism and Socialist Zionism in the 1930s on the basis of, well, the Arabs aren't going to welcome us. The Arabs will always be opposed uh, to us. Uh, Labour Zionism, Socialist Zionism uh, put forward the idea, I don't know whether they believed it themselves, I doubt it somehow, uh, that um, the Arab masses would greet them as liberators, as um, enlightened bringers of civilization. But that was in the age, remember, uh, where Zionism didn't hide its colonial um, uh, project. You know, they were out to colonize someone else's land and that of necessity uh, means expropriating, um, cleaning away uh, the native uh, population. And the last thing I want to say, therefore, is that I think that we need, when we hear uh, descriptions by various organizations or writers, about Israel being an apartheid state. There's a truth there uh, that Israel does systematically discriminate, not only against those that it's conquered, uh, but those that are internal uh, to um, um, Israel proper, uh, i.e. the 20% or so of the Israeli population um, who speak uh, Arabic, who are Arabic, part of the wider uh, Arab uh, population. But the difference is crucial. And that is, if you look at apartheid South Africa, it was predicated on the exploitation of the native population. So it's no doubt the case that uh, apartheid South Africa would have been willing uh, to kill thousands uh, of its black workforce without any uh, compunction. But it did not have a project of replacing, of driving out that population and replacing it uh, with a new uh, population. But that is the project of Zionism. And Zionism would rather have, um, you know, workers coming from Thailand than it would um, over from uh, the West Bank uh, occupied territory uh, uh, by Israel. They would rather have workers coming thousands of miles away. And of course, what they're uh, historic project is, is to gather together uh, the world's Jewish uh, population um, um, in uh, Israel, which really does, um, uh, you know, show you why the Zionist project is so tenuous. Um, after all, you know, something like half 
um, the Jewish population is already in Israel. There ain't that many more Jews around the world to gather. And those that are tend to live, you know, in countries like Britain or the United States. And whatever sympathies they've got or had with Israel, uh, they're doing very nicely. Thank you very much. And why the hell would I want to go to Israel uh, uh, for? So there is there is the danger precisely in the Zionist project of the fate that Karl Korsky warned about uh, in terms of um, the Zionists, who were a tiny minority uh, in his uh, uh, age, of setting the Jews up for a giant pogrom, uh, i.e. if you look at um, Jews and Arabs uh, within Israel, there's a majority of Jews, but once you look at the occupied territories, then you're dealing with 50-50. But if you look at the wider region, then you're dealing with what? I don't know. Is it 120 million Arabs and 6 million Jews? Shows you that the project uh, um, uh, is a very tenuous one, and it shows you why Israel relies on an outside sponsor. Uh, in a way that the United States, um, after it uh, became independent fully uh, with the Civil War, certainly didn't. It could have a constant stream of migrants coming um, from Europe um, and the native population uh, was totally marginalized, um, wiped out. Same, obviously, in Australia to a lesser extent, but nevertheless, it's still true. Uh, with New Zealand. So that we're dealing with two political economies. And I'd also say this finally, uh, that um, those such as uh, comrade uh, Tony Greenstein that think that the African National Congress sort of model provides the answer. I already think actually that in the context of Palestine, we've already seen it. And we saw it in the form of the Palestine Liberation um, Organization. Um, that was an ANC. And that sort of perhaps made a certain sense when you're dealing with um, a, a world that had the Soviet Union in it, that had two big blocks um, of where liberation movements could look to the Soviet Union for substantial material uh, support. We no longer live uh, in such a world. And all you need to do, actually, is look at the fate of the PLO and, for that matter, look at the fate of the African uh, National Congress, which clearly did a deal uh, with capitalism. Yes, apartheid isn't there any longer, but Zionism cannot do such a deal. That's the point. It's not in its nature uh, to do uh, uh, such a deal. Anyway, my main point uh, uh, is that to get rid of Zionism, what is required is an Arab revolution led by the working class, and that cannot be done on the basis of simply overcoming discrimination uh, against the Palestinians and having some quote unquote normal capitalism um, in uh, Palestine. Uh, no, uh, what we need is socialism uh, as an answer. Not now, uh, but certainly uh, that idea is something that needs to be fought for uh, now. It's a maximum demand uh, that has a great deal of relevance for the now. Okay, moving on in terms of the Middle East, Iran, 
uh, we've had um, Iran's Navy biggest ship burst into flames and sink. We've then had a fire at uh, a big and very important refinery uh, outside Tehran. Maybe I'm adding one and one together and making three. Do I see the hand of uh, Mossad in this? Yes, I do. Uh, it might have been, um, you know, um, just one of those freaky occurrences. Maybe um, it was a you know, simple uh, accident, but we know the role uh, of Israel in terms of assassinating Iranian scientists. Uh, we know the role of Israel uh, in terms of introducing computer bugs. Uh, you know, um, Israel's terrorism uh, as regards Iran isn't really a matter uh, of debate. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'm uh, over hasty in leaping at this uh, conclusion, uh, but there are good grounds uh, for having um, such suspicions on the basis of past um, evidence. OK, having mentioned Iran, uh, we have to mention the coming presidential elections. And although the Supreme Leader has uh, announced uh, that while well, maybe the uh, Council of Guardians, the sort of vetting body uh, for candidates has been um, too strict and maybe even unjust. What we seem to have, and we're not certain yet, but that's what we seem to have um, in a couple of weeks time is a shoe in uh, for the right wing conservative. And I'm saying all of this in heavy inverted commas. Uh, a candidate who at the moment is head of the judiciary, uh, and that's um, uh, Ibrahim Raisi. Um, what that means for sanctions, what that means for the nuclear deal, I don't know, except my understanding is that all sides in Iran uh, want the lifting of sanctions and are prepared to do a deal. That's my understanding uh, of it. I could be wrong, uh, but that's uh, what I understand. Now, of course, what's going to happen uh, as a result of that on June the 18th uh, is a tiny turnout uh, in terms of electors. Now, we need to understand uh, that some voters have to vote. Uh, so if you're a member of the army, the Revolutionary Guard, if you're a civil servant, if you work for the government, if you're a student in receipt of, you know, a student grant, uh, one can carry on down the list of government workers. They monitor you and you have to vote. Um, I don't know whether they count spoilt ballots, uh, but what we might have been expecting uh, if there had been a contest between a reformist, inverted commas, and a conservative presidential candidate, we might have been expecting in real terms, honest terms, something like a 30% turnout. Uh, my guess is that something like... A 20% a turnout would account for those that have to vote. Why, why bother voting when you know what the result's going to be and you don't like what's on offer um, anyway? Um, so anyway, um, that's just worth mentioning. And lastly, just dealing with the Labour Party in Britain, a couple of things. The... Um, um, Labour headquarters uh, in the form of General Secretary Evans is um, staging a, um, a teach-in uh, 
an education day which lasts an hour, as I understand it, uh, dealing with the question of um, anti-Semitism. Um, Our suspicion <laughs> here is there will be no contributions from the floor. And if there were, uh, one would guess that the wrong sort of contributions would be heavily punished uh, with suspensions or expulsions. But our expectation is that what's going to be uh, imposed on the Labour Party is something that you get in academia, and that is, um, you know, um, some sort of um, question and answer session uh, when it comes to candidates uh, for jobs. So uh, the question would be, well, what about anti-Semitism? Do the Jewish people have the right to self-determination? Right answer, yes, they do. Wrong answer, no, they don't, right? And you then carry on uh, down that. And if you don't get enough right answers, then you aren't a candidate uh, to become uh, a mayor or a councillor or an MP or whatever. That's our expectation uh, that this uh, particular uh, training session or introduction by the Jewish labor movement uh, will actually involve. Um, we have a great deal of sympathy and we support the call uh, to boycott uh, this um, training session. That doesn't mean that uh, we wouldn't send a journalist along uh, to see what's going on. Um, we don't view that as breaking uh, the boycott. For us, the boycott is basically a message uh, to the rank and file of the Labour Party that this is bogus. Uh, this has got nothing to do with combating anti-Semitism. It's got everything to do uh, with the witch hunt and legitimizing uh, Zionism in the Labour Party. Um, so we've already been talking about Israel. Well, in my view, the logic of the Zionist project in Israel is the removal um, of the native population. Um, that might mean the physical removal um, of them or as uh, uh, was the case in um, Australia, in Tasmania, uh, for example, the physical elimination uh, uh, of the native population. In other words, the logic of Zionism, not the subjectivity of all Zionists, but the logic of Zionism is genocidal. It certainly <laughs> involves ethnic cleansing and discrimination. Uh, that is inescapable. Okay. So what we're being asked to accept uh, in the name of anti-racism um, is an affiliate, the Jewish labor movement, that is not only racist, uh, but the logic of its program uh, is genocidal. Uh, and that is something that no socialist, no Democrat uh, should uh, accept. And that's why we support uh, the boycott call. Uh, we should treat this training day with contempt. We should treat the Jewish labor movement uh, with uh, contempt. It's fundamentally uh, no different uh, than if the Labour Party had a, you know, a white South African um, uh, affiliate committed to apartheid. Uh, politically, 
there's no difference uh, between them. But to say that now, uh, of course, would uh, produce uh, shock and horror uh, because we all know now uh, that apartheid um, and uh, South African racism is bad. Well, we ought to take the same conclusion about Israeli uh, racism and um, the logic of Zionism. The last thing I want to say about Labour Party is highly speculative. Um, and what it is, is just listening to Starmer, whose um, chief selling point in the last by-election in Hartlepool and the last local elections is I'm not Boris Johnson. Um, and that seems to be his strategy. Well, given um, the vaccine bounce, which is real, uh, the government can claim some credit uh, for it. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, Boris Johnson can also go up north uh, to uh, Brexit uh, voting areas and say, I got Brexit done, as opposed to uh, the Labour candidate who is uh, opposed to getting Brexit done, not least the present leader of the Labour Party, who opposed every move to get Brexit uh, done. And so what Starmer's doing, isn't he? He's spending the summer going out there around the country, talking to ordinary people. Well, don't take that uh, particularly uh, uh, seriously. Um, no. Um, what is more interesting is his statements uh, in reply to people like Mandelson, uh, that he really ought to be taking lessons from Blair. And if you notice what Tony Blair was saying, which hasn't been dismissed uh, by Keir Starmer, is that the Labour Party needs fundamental change. I think that it's not impossible um, that uh, at the reduced uh, Labour Party conference in Brighton uh, this year, uh, Starmer will reveal his um, grand plan. Um, that's my expectation. I don't know what it will involve, uh, but remember what Tony Blair's grand plan was. Well, it involves subordinating the National Executive Committee uh, to himself as the leader. It involved uh, these policy forums, thus gutting uh, the power of conference. Uh, it involved downgrading uh, the importance of the trade unions. It involved a rapprochement with big business, crucially uh, the Murdoch um, empire. It involved the Labour Party accepting the reforms of Thatcherism, including the anti-trade um, union laws uh, that were introduced uh, 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 under uh, Thatcher. Expect something similar uh, from Starmer. And remember, ultimately, uh, although he wasn't able to deliver it, uh, Blair's plan was to overcome what he saw as the historic accident, the historic unfortunate split uh, between the Labour Party and liberalism, what he would view as the progressive camp or something along those lines. Remember the election, he won such a majority, he wasn't able to deliver the coalition government with the Liberal Democrats that he'd been thinking uh, uh, about. And clearly a coalition government wasn't going to be the end of the story. It was going to be the opening salvo of the bringing together of um, liberalism again. Now, I, get, I haven't got a clue 
whether I'm right or not, but it does seem to me that that is the sort of thing uh, that we should be looking for. Uh, in other words, uh, in spite of uh, uh, Biden, um, uh, we aren't just going to have a Labour Party uh, that says it's committed to high levels of uh, public spending. It, there will be more involved. Uh, what? I don't know. Uh, but that's what I would expect at Brighton uh, this year. One other thing I would say is that we should be expecting an early general election. Now, it's, you know, as Howard Wilson famously said, a week is a long time in politics. But as things look at the moment, from Boris Johnson's point of view, things look very rosy. There he is. He's delivered Brexit. There he is, the the pandemic, the end is in sight. You know, this is not the beginning of the beginning. This is the beginning of the end and all that sort of type stuff. And what Britain is guaranteed to have very soon, and we're already seeing signs of it, is an unprecedented economic boom. Of course, this boom will only get us back uh, to pre-pandemic levels. Nevertheless, what you're going to get is um, headlines that Britain has never grown like it before. Um, and that will be the truth, uh, that Britain will be expecting growth rates of something like 7%, uh, which is enormous uh, for a country uh, like Britain. And you will get inflation, you'll get wage rises, you might even have successful strikes in terms of uh, wages uh, and um, uh, conditions. And you know what Boris Johnson is thinking about on the, that basis and a Labour Party that is still at sixes and sevens. Uh, Keir Starmer, who's no doubt a very good lawyer, but doesn't know what he thinks politically. Uh, what Boris Johnson is planning, and we know it because it's in the Queen's speech, he's going to get rid of the fixed term Parliament Act, and he's going to go for an early uh, general election. And it's conceivable on the basis of uh, an economic boom, of getting Brexit done, this is global Britain and all the rest of it, uh, that he not only maintains his 80 strong majority, it's quite conceivable uh, that he actually increases it. Um, anyway, with that happy thought, uh, I shall conclude.